0: This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, I'm Emily Culp. I'm CEO of Cover FX, which is a vegan and cruelty-free makeup brand that is for all different types of ethnicities, skin types, and people. Uh, what I love about retail, I think the most important thing to me about retail is actually consumers, What I've always loved about every single part of retail, omni-channel in particular, is whether it's a website, Instagram, or in-store, is the consumer engagement with the brand. How they're touching it in-store, physically getting a chance to watch them try on your product or smell your product or put it on their face, to being on Instagram where they comment about it. To me, the whole excitement and the passion in this space, whether it's in footwear and beauty or in fashion, is the consumer she or he are what drives me to do what I love. Customer, team, and data. No
1: matter the order of priority, getting these things right is essential to the success of any retail operation. An expert in all of these is Emily Culp. Before leading beauty brand Cover FX Skincare CEO, Emily's work managing call centers in executive positions with brands such as Keds, Rebecca Minkoff, and Clinique, and Unilever, has demonstrated she's the perfect blend of all three of these areas. Coming up, you'll hear from Emily about career-focused advice on being a female CEO in the retail sector, why data is queen and why customers have driven her success, why KPIs are such a focus and building the right team is everything, and the power of bench pressing. From New York City, you're listening to Retail Is Your Business, Covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. Emily, welcome to the show. My name is Rebecca Fitz. I'm here with my co-host Chris. Hey guys. Um, To kick it off, there's so many things to talk about with you, but I think probably one of the most fascinating things is in the hot seat is Emily, who is a female CEO. Uh, retail, just like every other, I think, uh, industry has a lot of male CEOs. So um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, how you got here and also um, what's going on now as a female CEO. Uh,
0: great question. Thank you for having me to both of you. Um, In terms of how I got here, I actually get this question a lot, Um, whether it's from uh, different business executives or one of the places it means the most to me as well is I actually still recruit where I went to business school, in particular women, because I think that's one of the key phases where we need to get more women into the stream, if you will, to have different opportunities and drive towards if they want to become in the C-suite. Um, I think one of the most important things that I feel extremely fortunate about is I started my career actually in technology before it was a thing 20-some years ago. And one of the most valuable lessons that taught me was there, nobody, by the way, I turned down a job at Amazon because I actually thought Barnes and Nobles and Borders were going to continue to crush it. So that should give you an idea of how nascent the web was at that point. Nobody, there were no content management systems. There was no rule book whatsoever. So what that taught me early on, if you can imagine when you're still totally malleable, is to embrace smart risk there is no right or wrong answer. It's about being crazy curious, understanding that there are always solutions. There's always options. It's about resource allocation, whether it's time or money or teams or what have you, but there's always a way to solve something. And I think having that instilled in me early on, I didn't have, despite, I will say I'm slightly type A, anyone who's listening and knows me knows that's just an understatement. But what The growing up in the technology sphere or industry taught me is you can still be a perfectionist, but there isn't one way to get there. And I think what that has empowered me is to understand I don't actually have a normal path on how I got here, but I've embraced smart risk or opportunities that have been provided, and I've helped create some of those. But I've also had unbelievable fortune of having people take risk or bet with me. And I've delivered. And I think the last piece I would say around that is it also comes back to me, again, going back to the technology background, it's all about KPIs. To me, one of the other things I learned very early on is tie everything back to numbers and revenue. Whatever you're doing – have a P&L attached to everything you're doing, and be able to put an ROI on it. So ever since I've been you know, in business, that's what I've been doing. And I think those two lessons, one a little bit more analytical and one a little bit more qual, if you will, are what have enabled me to get to the position where I am now.
1: Uh, you've been at a lot of great brands. Um, so tell us about why Cover FX and why now?
0: You know, it's interesting. I, I have been extremely fortunate, whether working at um, with Uri and Rebecca Rebecca Minkoff, to KEDS, to Clinique with Jane Lauder, some really phenomenal thought leaders. And I, I've had the opportunity to truly do some amazing work with great teams. I want to be clear, it's with great teams. Um, for me, this opportunity came up, and it was the perfect amalgamation of everything i've been doing which is i'm i absolutely love repositioning brands and companies and poise them for unbelievable success and this particular opportunity from a business aspect really uh, enabled me to unlock all of the different skills i've been doing on different brands whether it's retail digital consumer insights brand repositioning etc all of that work But also on a very personal level, um, what was really important to me at this point in my career is feeling I've always felt passionate about every single brand I've worked on. So I want to be clear on that. But I'm also at this point in my life where maybe it's having a nine to six year old and looking at them when I'm coming back from crazy red eyes and other meetings where I want to know that I'm having a positive impact on the world beyond just selling something. And what I loved about this brand is it's vegan and cruelty-free. And increasingly, because of different health things, whether it's through friends and family, I'm very attuned to all the different things that are in the environment that we're putting in our body, on our body, and what have you. And especially looking at my little six-year-old Violet, she's playing with my makeup. Do I feel good about what she's playing with? And I can say, this is something that is good for you. And actually helps your body, you know, and has good for you ingredients. And the vegan uh, and the cruelty free piece, I should say, you know, not testing on animals. I'm an animal lover. Anyone who knows that about me knows that like I would do anything for my two cats. So to me, there was the business opportunity, but there's a very, very strong personal connection for me. And to be able to marry the two and drive success for a business, um, I saw as a once in a lifetime opportunity. So I'm thrilled to be here.
2: So you hit a few keywords for me: technology, omnichannel, digital, KPIs. Um, that's I'm, I'm the tech nerd here.
0: That's all good. Yeah, <laughs> I used so, to code. I understand.
2: So one, I'm curious as to your early days in technology and yeah. when, what that consisted of, but I'm mostly interested in understanding how technology plays into the cover FX business because you mentioned omnichannel and how to connect. I think about how to connect the data points together to ecosystem. get to the KPIs. Yeah, yeah, so how how do you guys do that? And how much does your previous technology experience help you?
0: Um, my previous technology experience, I think one piece I also didn't touch on earlier is I've also never had a job description because of everything. I've always been the first of whatever type of individual in any company. So similar to like when I was at Clinique I believe in four years, I had six titles because it kept morphing with different departments and different things. That's just been my career as well. Um, So I think there's an agility or adaptability that helps me. Um, So going back to earlier in my career in technology, again, to me, it's more a lens and how I approach the world. And I really do genuinely, going back to my passion around consumers, early days, you know, when you're in focus groups, I helped roll out um, L.O. Bean's first international e-commerce site ever. And it was one of the first in the world. And I remember I lived in Japan and I used to order from Boat and L.L. totes. L.L. That was yeah. our number one seller I, I, when I was watching that being sold in Saudi Arabia. I was like, no way, <laughs> this is amazing. Anyway, um, and I was in my early 20s watching the real-time feedback. Going back to that, it, it really inherently put in my mind at the heart of everything is your consumer because regardless of whether it's technology or not, you know, whether it's a high touch or a digital experience, the end game is about your consumer. But it also put in my mind data is critical to understanding your consumer and not to lose sight and how do you connect the two and create a ecosystem where it's all flowing. So those were some of the lessons early days. Um, moving on to right now, uh, you know, I'm on month eight in my role right now, so I'm still, uh, I would say, restructuring my ecosystem, but it's well underway. And the key to me, it's not about the volume of data. Um, I think data gets lost in all these conversations that everyone's like, I need data, I need analysts. What you need is crazy smart people who are curious, who can ascertain different levels and understand where to dig for the data, pose the question, get the information, and then formulate different insights and actually act on it in a timely manner. So that to me is the whole thing that I'm putting together as we speak. And, I mean, it's phenomenal. Like one of the interesting things I learned early on about this brand is about 8 to 10% of our consumers are men. And that's really exciting. So that's an opportunity for us. So hence why I said early on, you know, we're a brand for men and women. So that's where data is informative.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things you would miss in the data. You wouldn't use it as an actionable insight. You would maybe lose sight of that data point and you couldn't use it to actually change your marketing message or to reach a a specific audience. Or
0: sub-segment or just, I'll be honest, one of the things that I deeply care about, culture. Because at the end of the day, when you're in the middle of a repositioning, it's all about people. You can have the best business plan in the universe. You don't have a killer team with you. It doesn't matter. You just have a great business plan. That's it. You need both. And going back to culture, now after getting that piece of data, we're not changing everything we're doing in the marketplace, but I will be clear, we are very careful now internally how we speak about it. You know, he or she, how will they respond to this email? It's changed culturally. It's something that I've infused in our culture. And I think that's important. It just makes people more cognizant of choices they'll make in the future.
2: Do you think technology helps culture or impedes culture in terms of a reliance on it. Sometimes I hear, even in my own company, if we only had this tool, if we only had this piece of data, we would be whatever, doing so much better. You know, it would be so much more helpful. The team would be so much healthier.
0: Yeah, I think there are two pieces. I mean... I love technology. My house is wired every room with different AI systems, so you're talking to the wrong person about technology. But on the flip side, all kidding aside, the piece, and I actually have these conversations at home a lot with my family, it's all about how you use it. And I think there have already been great examples in the news recently. I'm not going to touch on them, but... I think like anything, it's how you use it. And where I think technology can go a little bit askew is when people say, as you said, where it's other shiny object syndrome, where all of a sudden, because AI is a topic is trending, that everybody's like, what we need is AI, that's going to fix everything. Actually, it's not. If you don't have a sound strategy or a way to actually implement it, or you don't know who your consumer is, AI is not going to fix that it's an enabler. So I think it's more about understanding where technology can fit into your strategic roadmap, and how to use it accordingly. But it is not the be all and the end all.
2: So we didn't go through your CV, but I know yes. that you have some agency experience. And I've had some agency experience as Well, I feel like everyone in our space is done some time yeah. at the agency. Um, did that help? Did that help shape the work that you've done at retail brands um was that foundational in terms of your career and where it's gone
0: 100% um and i would say two ways my running joke was that was the mba that actually paid me um i learned an, an obscene amount of information, whether it's from Digitas, I was like the 78th employee. So before it went public and all, run by Michael Bronner and all of that it was fascinating um, to Ogilvy and Mather working with some of the brilliant minds who sh- helped shape whether it's IBM Dove and in my case, working on Kodak. I understand it didn't end the way we all wanted, but it still was an amazing, iconic American brand to have the privilege to work on. Um What I think was really important to me were two things, as I said, coming back to the points. One is I truly learned from the ground up every single marketing, communication, and for that matter, consumer insights piece. And that was very foundational to putting the consumer at the heart of everything I did, even with the technology piece as well at Digitas. Um, So I am unbelievably grateful for that. And by the way, there's nothing harder than being on the agency side. I think that there's a lot of misconceptions that you're going to con, you're hanging out, having rosé. I don't know what people think happens in the agency world. I did not do any of that, by the way. But you, as I've explained before is you're billable down to every 15 minutes and you have to explain and defend how you spend your time and basically what your time is, is your mind and your output for that client and you have to demonstrate every single day, why you're worth engaging with them and then parting with their funds to work with you. And I think there's nothing more um, humbling than that process. So it's learning the channels, but it's also the accountability. And I would say, finally, um, the customer service mentality, where whether it's the end, for example, when I was working on Kodak, whether it was working with Best Buy and seeing the consumers in store, or for that matter, you could argue the customer was the Kodak CMO and what have you who working with all of them um there's a reason why most of the teams that i put together have a mixture of people because there's also an agility a speed solutions oriented nature that's instilled in you or you will not survive in the agency world so yes i am so grateful for that period
1: coming up you'll hear the unique challenges of running a company in the beauty industry Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network and find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found. Beauty is, is super complex. I'm a, a woman who loves makeup. Um, I would think particularly for the product you all have that there are probably all kinds of opportunities and challenges ahead. I'd love to hear about um, how you're tackling this.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point Um, overall in retail right now. There's a tremendous amount of, uh, whether you want to say disruption, evolution, fill in the word there. Uh, You look at some of the more established players right now, whether it's Sephora, Ulta, and others, And then you layer in where consumers are spending a lot of their dollars as well, which are pure play channels such as Amazon. So it's trying to, and by the way, then you add in the fourth category, which is there's a whole movement of people trying to purchase more local based, which is a lot of tiny, whether it's spas, coffee shops that offer alternative options, etc. etc. It's almost like the amalgamation of everything now going local. Um, so as someone overseeing a company navigating this interesting time, this is where I feel extremely fortunate and where. I'm trying to make it very, very clear to consumers. We have a definitive point of view, which is vegan and cruelty-free positioning that is unique. And as I mentioned earlier on in the show, you know, we think of ourselves almost as skin inclusive, going back to the idea that inclusivity is a big buzzword right now in beauty and how most people are defining that is via different ethnicities, I think what's important to our brand and the heritage of our brand is we've actually always defined it in a broader way. Of course, it's about different ethnicities, but it should also be reflective of different ages. Your skin changes as you age. I'm seeing some head nods, men and women, or some smiles. So that's a reality. And also when you think about it, even um, as an individual, you have, depending on where you're traveling or different experiences or life stages, your skin changes too. You may be oily, combination, acne prone, what have you. So we think of all of that is the idea of skin inclusivity. And that's what our products deliver on. Um, In particular, having this point of view in the marketplace means that I think we can help her or him navigate to our products because we offer something very definitive. Um, I think it really does help right now, too. There's a tremendous uh, groundswell around the, the words or the term clean. I think one of the challenges around that term is clean to one retailer versus another retailer versus your local mom and pop shop. You could have three different definitions. And I think where I empathize tremendously is with the consumer who says, you know what? And by the way, they may have their fifth, sixth, or seventh definition, which is they want to have something that's good for you or at least minimally that's not going to harm you. And that's their definition of clean. So this goes back to one of the things I love most, too, which is empowering our consumer. So we are very transparent, whether it's in-store, online, or our social media. Here's what we have in our actual product, for example, in one of our top-selling products we have a soothing green tea complex. And then we're very clear, here's what we don't have in our product. Because again, going back to the point that clean means so many different things right now, there's not one universal standard, almost like what organic food went through many, many years ago. That's what beauty is going through. So that's where we're empowering our consumer to make their own choice.
2: So as a guy who... Does not use any beauty products other than maybe a pomade I put in my hair.
0: You don't use SPF. You're a ginger. Oh, oh sorry. Yes, you do.
2: Sorry. I, uh, okay. So uh-huh. my beauty regimen is, which is I love basically that something is keep that keeps me. my hair in place.
0: We'll talk through that at another Hand point. Hand soap. Yes. Ooh, okay.
2: And sunblock because...
0: And we make sunblock. That's what a lot of the guys buy from us. Mm-hmm. So,
2: so how do you create the right customer experience, considering there's all of these different facets of non-standard terminology, uh, different products that suit different needs, different life stages of the person buying the products. How, How do you create that customer experience? It seems like a real challenge for the uninitiated.
0: Um, I'm going to take you on this special journey. This will be my personal challenge Perfect. and I will get you on our SPF because by the way, that's what so many men love. It is non-oily. There's no scent and you have no I'm concept sold. that it's on you. Even my husband is converted at this I'm point. Sold. You will be my friend. Um, and by the way, it's coming back shortly. We're re-bringing it back and reintroducing it. But, um, I think you, you know, astutely just put out there a very true point, which is it's reflective of our consumer. We're all complex individuals. I mean, when you think about any of us, whether you're on a red eye or what have you, your skin is your largest organ. It's going through all these different fun journeys with you. So it's also complex and changing. I think the best thing we can do as a brand is make it approachable, make it, you know, humanize this process and explain to the best of our ability saying, you know what? If you have this type of skin or this type of experience, put your finger on your face. If it feels like this, this is probably the best product for you right now. But again, it's based on how you feel and how you engage with our product. We aren't telling you you have to have this product or you must look this way. We're empowering you with the tools and trying to get you the right product to help your skin. But it's really up to your individual choice.
2: So how do you tell that story in a true Multi. I'm going to use multi-channel and omni-channel. You could argue that I'm saying the same yes. thing. Yep. but I, I mean multi-channel in the sense of you have different sales channels that aren't 100%. necessarily direct, mm-hmm. and then you have omni-channel, which might be something that you own outright across mm-hmm. the different channels. How do you how do you tell that story, and how 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 do you connect those dots? Can you?
0: I I, I don't think. Anyone who says they can do it completely flawlessly, similar to anyone who says they have 100% data on everything the consumer thinks or does, I, I don't think is being totally forthright. Um, you can do the best to your ability. And I think one of the ways you can do that, the way I think of whether it's owned channels, meaning our own Instagram, our own website, versus shared, if you will, whether it's Ulta.com, Sephora.com, whomever. Is I think of each channel as a touchpoint or a chapter in a book, meaning a chapter should be able to stand up on its own. You get a nugget of information. Optimally, if you engage with two or three, it's more cumulative and you get a richer experience. But I can't control, nor would I say that I could, what order in which you consume all these things. So that's where we're trying to make sure that we truly think about the fact that you might have your phone in store, be looking at our own Instagram channel, oscillating to a different website, looking at ratings and reviews, and by the way, be talking to a beauty advisor or somebody in store trying our product. So that is why I love what I do, which is it's the complexity at one point, but it's thinking, distilling it and simplifying it, thinking about being in touch with that consumer, what would help that consumer the most to make the best decision at that particular moment in time? In, so that's what keeps me up at night, but it also keeps me super energized.
2: In 2019 is, is and, and I know you said eight months on the job in 2019 yes. for the company, is that the focus trying to connect those dots or are there that's other one of, our, one of?
0: Yes. One of
2: what are other focuses in 19?
0: Um, You know, one of the most amazing things about this brand is we have phenomenal products. They're really effective. And it's coming back and creating um, that discipline or clarity of focus on what are our core products and making sure that our consumer has an opportunity to try these products and not only just new products because I think about one of my favorite books out there that I love reading. It is a business book, so humor me on this one, but it's not dry. It's called Blue Ocean. Um, it's a really good book, and why I like it is it's very, again, it's a simple framework, but it's, you know, where to, where to play, how to win. And that's a very simple framework, but actually if you do it correctly, the discipline and the fortitude it takes in making a decision, saying where you're going to play takes just as much discipline and fortitude to say where you will not play. It's very hard, actually, saying no consistently and having the strength, especially as different variables uh, fluctuate in your business. So that is one of the guiding sort of frameworks, if you will, on going back to let's focus on our core, do some amazing things, make sure our consumer is aware of what we've been offering, which is the vegan and cruelty-free and skin inclusivity, and go from there.
2: So you've had a career that started technology agency marketing now operational business a lot has changed over the you, the time that you've been sort of involved here how, what do you see the innovations that are coming and how do you see the next generation your kids my kids changing the way that they consume media marketing messages, and, and brand. is that Are you thinking about that now?
0: I'm obsessed by that. And I think, you know, on a personal note, going back to my children for a moment, my six- and nine-year-olds, who I've made affectionately into um, my little guinea pigs, um, I think, as I said earlier today, I have different AI systems in each room of our house. And part of the reason I do that is, I think it's really important to try and understand what your consumers are going through. Who am I to say which system they may or may not have in their home? So why not try and experiment with all of them? But what's been the most humbling and fascinating to me is watching, you know, this next generation of consumers. My nine-year-old will have buying power, you know, very shortly. He would argue he already does through his allowance and through squirreling away money. Um, But all kidding aside is Watching them learn how to engage and how their thought process goes with these different systems. One of the trends that I see right now that I'm very, very obsessed with is voice command search. Because not only what my children are doing, but I find myself even doing this. And you find yourself doing this, whether it's with your iPhone, Android, whatever device you walk in your home, there are smart devices everywhere, Uh, even airports at this point. So All of us are being recalibrated that way. So that changes another way on how people might think about or get exposure to your brand. So that's a whole nother venue uh, of an opportunity, I think. So that's one area I'm very, very interested in. Um, And I think one of the things that I find fascinating is just trying to sift through or prioritize because there's so much innovation happening right now. Um, For me, it's how I go about this process is I am a voracious reader. It does help to be trapped on planes a tremendous amount, especially when the Wi-Fi is down, which happened in my last red eye. There was no Wi-Fi, and I was like, oh, this is good, Mm -hmm, Um, and you drain your computer. Um, I think, you know, whether it's different periodicals, blogs, but also um, I find my peers. You know, I've been very fortunate to build up a, a great group of friends whether they're, and they're in all different walks of life. I have investment banker friends, I have agency friends, the VC, PE, all kinds of different people doing different things. So you get a myriad of different touch points. And when I start to know that something's getting traction is when radically different friends are talking about similar themes or maybe consumer challenges. And that's what keeps me really, really fascinated on where to probe. And for example, voice is one of those things. I would say right now.
2: Do you think those are false positives? I always feel like some of those tipping points are... Is
0: everyone reading the same thing? Yeah, They could be. I tend to take it more seriously when there's, uh, there's a consumer challenge, whether it's in the restaurant industry, and then I have a friend who's deep into fashion who has the same consumer challenge, and whether they're coming to the same answer with technology, but it's the same challenge. That's how I filter through, because to your point, if everyone's saying the answer is blockchain... Um, and then if you ask someone a second question, can you define that? 90% cannot. Um, so I agree with you.
2: It immediately, the first example in my head of that, you know, false positive is blockchain a year or two ago. It's like, that's, everyone was talking about blockchain. Right. Same, I feel like with, um, with AR and VR. Yes. So voice search, I think, has some more legs to it, but I do think it's still fairly nascent. It's
0: totally nascent, but that's where I see the opportunity is because, and I almost shouldn't share it right now, but I think it's because right now it's almost like mobile search was like seven years ago where everyone's like this mobile thing might really take off. Had anyone secured all of their mobile search terms at that point, et cetera, you'd be in a very happy, happy space. Um, So I think voice is one of those. I agree with you and AR and VR. And by the way, similar going back to the shiny object syndrome, I think there are applications for them, but I don't think you need like a virtual store assistant to float over to you when you walk into a store. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. And this is where the litmus test to me is what benefit or what pain point is this resolving for the consumer?
1: Coming up, you're going to hear a lot more about Emily. Entrepreneista, A woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneista. Through the Conversations on the entrepreneista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entreprenista Podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneistapodcast.com. Are you an app person? Do you have yeah, some have interesting apps? apps? Want what what's the most interesting one?
0: Well, if someone took my phone right now, similar to someone in TSA recently who was looking at my phone after – it's a long story – going through security. I have a mixture of my own apps, and somehow my children's apps are also on there too, which is good. So I have finger painting and other things. Um, Actually, all kidding aside, one of the apps – or I don't know if it's an app as much – one of the things I do when I travel a lot, if possible, I like P90X. Do you know what that is? I don't. It's a workout regimen With Tony he's i don't know tony oh Tony's the head of p90x he's like oh, it,
2: i've seen him in the commercials actually yeah. I take that back. do
0: your best and forget the rest he is mantras it's solid so do
2: you bring dvds with you and oh, oh, oh
0: thanks thanks with my little atari <laughs> plugged into my console and screen uh no but like there you can download the stuff and it's great Are he there has like stretch that,
1: bands so will you do a workout like, like in your hotel room i oh yeah maybe you stay overnight
0: uh if I stay overnight, I try and stay in perpetual motion when traveling, even overnight's over Europe. I just try and keep going and that way your body is fully confused but doesn't know what time zone right. it's in. And your energy is still I- up. I'm not saying this is a long-term best health plan, but that's how I do it. Um I do workouts in my room or my one of the big ways I relieve stress is I actually weight lift. So I love to bench press. I'm serious, yes. I can't anymore. I used to be able to bench my whole body weight. I can't anymore because I don't train but seven that would days be a the week question, anymore. By the way, how much?
2: So is this CrossFit? Is this No, I don't do CrossFit. No. So you just go and bench.
0: My it's interesting. About twenty years ago, my husband used to on and off like professional lift and all that stuff. And I was a marathon runner. I used to run a lot. Then I hurt myself in the Boston Marathon. I was like, I have to do something physical. And he helped me learn how to do dead-legged lifts, all of this kind of stuff. And the endorphin rush from it is amazing. So I've been lifting now for over 20 years.
2: So what can you dead?
0: Um, I don't dead anymore because of my little soft back from all my traveling. But I bench right now the bar and 220s. So you put that all together, it's what, like 65, depending on the bar weight.
2: Because isn't there a thing where it's like bench, dead, yep. and then... Yep. Clean.
0: That's correct. Yeah. And
2: then there's a ratio.
0: Yep. I don't do dead-legged lifts anymore, um, and I don't I don't bench enough anymore where I need a spotter. I do it so I can do it on my own in hotel gyms. But, yes, I used to actually need a spotter, and I used to actually lift my body weight.
2: So what's your regimen for jet lag um, mitigation? Because everyone has one.
0: I do. Um, as I said, beyond my crazy perpetual motion theory – Um, I go purist. I hydrate like nobody's business. I drink more water. This is on planes where people are like, is everything okay with you? Because I'm drinking so much. I have no alcohol, no caffeine. I try and get access to the nearest Starbucks, regardless of where I am in the world, to over-caffeinate there. Then I switch to green tea in the middle of the day, and then I try and have a green juice. So somehow between caffeine and green byproducts, I'm convinced it works. Plus I eat super clean. No so fried foods, nothing.
2: First day, it's power through, yeah. caffeine, caffeine, water. Lots of
0: water, very green foods, like super clean eating too. Sleep. Ooh, I also try and run. I run somewhere in there as well. The running is critical. The only thing I would say on the run is because you're so tired, your feet sometimes strip on the treadmill. Got to keep your wits about you. you. You can't, there's no podcast. You need to be present in that moment so you don't kill yourself on a treadmill or while running in a city.
2: There was a time I was traveling for work in Japan and at three o'clock in the morning I was on a treadmill and it felt like a scene in Lost in Translation where it was just me. That's correct. And Japanese programming and the treadmill.
0: That's correct. And that's when you also want to make sure you're like fully present when you're like, hey, it's just me in the gym by myself.
2: That's where you actually tie the tether. (laughs) That's correct.
0: (laughs) When it says the emergency stop thing where you're like, this is legit and I should have this attached to me. I will be honest. It's not a bad idea at those moments.
2: Interesting. How much do you travel? I mean, you're a CEO of a company, two young kids. How how much does that impact your
0: travel choices? travel
2: choices and how you travel?
0: Yeah, I mean. I, I think it's all about integration. You know what I mean? People say work-life balance. I'm not really sure what that means. I can just tell you it's integrating. There's some days I crush it at work or do a better job at home and I take each day uniquely. It's not like a scorecard thing um, because life is too short to do the scorecard mentality is my point. Um, in terms of travel, I've always been this way. I will say with kids, it does amplify it. The perpetual motion thing. I've had to do that for the first 10 years of my life on the agency side because I was zipping around to lots of different locations anyway. So I'm actually used to that, and I love the energy and what it sort of provides. I think the most important thing to me, though, on keeping up the pace is um, just being very purposeful, meaning I don't take business trips I never have that don't need to happen. You know, if you can do a one hour Skype call, great. This is where technology has its advantages. But you also need to have enough, I would say, emotional intelligence to understand having a in-person meeting or having that extra lunch can make all the difference in the world. And it's making that judgment call. Um, So kids have factored in, but it it really hasn't changed my travel routine, if you will. Um, I'm just as efficient as I was many, many years ago.
2: Was Rochester your favorite travel city when you were um, here the seaside? Thank
0: you for asking. I also worked very closely with Best Buy. So, I, had, so. Uh, I did. I have had basically everything I feel like happen except for a fire on a plane. I've skid off runways. I've been through blizzards. I've had emergency shoots triggered, but I haven't had the fire yet knock on composite material here. I'm hoping to avoid that in my flight repertoire. I've been hit by lightning. So a lot of things. But yes, I've had some very luxurious choices and cities that I've spent time in.
1: Uh, Emily, any final thoughts? We've covered a lot of ground uh, in this conversation.
0: I just want to spend more time with you guys. This has been super fun. Um, all kidding aside, too, the one thing I feel like I haven't had a chance to talk about with you guys is teams and the importance uh, that is to me on building, you know, amazing uh, business opportunities and businesses for repositioning them. Um so just want to touch on that that you know as i said before you can have a great business plan a phenomenal board but if you don't have a great team it's not possible to execute and for that matter even have fun and get those results so that's where i also feel very very fortunate at cover effects i'm building the team that uh i've worked with many of them two or three times in the past so it's like working with your family it's a privilege so I'm very excited about that. And uh, if you want to touch base with me anytime in the future, you can find me on our website, any social media outlet, LinkedIn, whatever works for you. Um, Emily,
1: thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for listening in. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for co-hosting. Thank you.
0: Guys, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. And I hope thanks you so come much. back again soon.
1: I'm Rebecca Fitz. Have a great day. This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
0: This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.